how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Francesca Ayala is an American-born Filipina and currently Hong Kong-based, multi-talented event producer, comedian, author, and force of love and inclusivity in the world. We are delighted to get to know her better on Sober Sex. Hell yeah, this was such a special episode because normally I don't think we speak to people who have like eight months sober, so it was really nice to kind of get a fresh take on recovery. Absolutely, and I think it's the first time since I've been on that we've hit someone in such a far in such a different time zone so we're all like spread out throughout the day but she was such a pleasure to talk to international baby (laughs) yes oh my god and she had so much beautiful insight and I loved hearing about how her comedies kind of helped her through some of her early sobriety stuff as well yeah and I think also like there's so much about like shame being healed by laughter and also I think yeah. it's it's pertinent to do a trigger warning um childhood sexual trauma comes up so if that is not cool for you to listen to it's not very explicit but just heads up absolutely so please enjoy this episode of sober sex with Francesca Ayala Woo! Woo! and we are here <laughs> it's all happening <laughs> awesome Welcome, Francesca. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's actually funny. A couple weeks ago, we had a, a, a powwow for sober sex, and we <laughs> were debating the how awkward is it to ask someone their pronouns? <laughs> um, and is it like, do you feel like it's awkward to be asked um, what what are your pronouns? Or we were debating also. You're, you'll be the, the test subject for this. What is your experience of gender today? <laughs> is that a less awkward <laughs> question? Because <laughs> um, they're kind of different. Yeah, true. I don't think it's awkward to ask someone's pronouns. I think I mean in this day and age, it's 2021. Like, how hard can it be to just, you know, consider um, respecting somebody's pronouns and their identity? How do I feel about gender today? I mean, it's an exciting time. Um, you know, I, I think it's always a good idea to support inclusion. And I'm just totally, I'm totally in support of that. Yes, of course, there's awkward moments. But I mean, that's growth, right? Like, change is never going to be comfortable. So no, I'm, totally. I'm for it. I'm for it. And obviously, like, people fuck it up sometimes. Sometimes they get it right. But the point is to evolve. Awesome. Absolutely. So what would your pronouns be today? My pronouns are she and her. Awesome. Same here. Awesome. Same here. And also, I mean, outside of your ideas of like (laughs) globally gender today, I guess like the the question is like, how do you experience, like, how do you experience gender today? Like your gender? Like, how do you enjoy or how do you enjoy or not enjoy being she, her? Sorry, this is like such a fun, this is the first time we've had 
had this discussion. We're like, wow, wow that's, like, let's get into it with Fred. <laughs> Go in. very, very deep. Considering that I came from a comedy open mic just like an hour ago. Um, <laughs> we can circle which, back and loosen up. <laughs> and we, we, can, we can circle back into that. But um, yeah, it was obviously there's a predominantly uh, male sort of cishet male scene here in Hong Kong. I mean, what's new? That's that's everywhere, though. It's yeah. not it's not unique Welcome. to where I'm from. <laughs> so, how I yeah. feel about gender today? Like, I think it's an interesting time. Um, it's a scary time for people who are cishet males, and you know what? Good for them. Welcome to our world. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, and how are you today? I am tired. Um, but I think let's just, I've started a new job um, I just in November, yeah. and then it was, it was pretty full on. Um, so I, I work with a, a marketing and PR firm. I work with their Hong Kong office, but a lot of the work we do is either global or regional. So actually finding a time for three different time zones to, or for people in three different time yeah. zones to do a call, like that, that's my work. <laughs> that's so what time zones are you usually in? Um, so right now I'm working on a project with people who are based in Dubai, Hong Kong, and San Francisco. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of coordinating. Um, it's a lot, but it's, it's something I'm used to. I'm the oldest of like eight kids. I come from a massive Filipino family. So my life has basically been like working around people's schedules or their food <laughs> allergies or their extracurriculars. <laughs> You know, and if you're five minutes late to one thing, you ruin everyone else's day. So it's, it's not a skill I sort of sought out to have, but it's one that I do have. And it's, it's, yeah. it's helped me. It's helped me out in life. So I am finally appreciative of that. Yes, you're innately yeah. equipped for this, the work that lies ahead, especially in terms of like Zoom coordination. So oh, man, you, <laughs> you yes. have no idea. I make spreadsheets for everything. It's a gift. You must have to. <laughs> I do. I do. I also have ADHD, so I kind of need <laughs> to just like have things laid out in a chart. Strategies. I can't just be like, okay, I'll remember that. No, I don't. I don't even know how to do math. I use Excel. <laughs> it's kind of amazing because you've got to be like kind of on at all sorts of different times a day. Like I was thinking about it this morning as I was waking up. I'm like, would I rather be doing this at 11 p.m. or would I rather be doing it at 7 a.m., which is what I'm doing. And I'm like thinking... <laughs> I don't know, 11 p.m. I might be out. I might be like brain dead and I don't know. So you have to be like kind of with it all the time, which is awesome that you're um, holding it off. Like, I hope not all the time. I hope not all the time. I, I try to, to get my rest in when I can. I feel like just coming from the work culture in this city where Hong Kong for, for decades has sort of been this global hub, which is like um, any Westerners beta test for how they would fare living and working in Asia. So there's a lot of different nationalities here. There's a lot of um, global or like um, Western companies that have headquarters here, which means if you work here, you are probably working with other time zones. So it's, it's sort of, it's a very like, busy, like work hard type of fast paced environment. And I'm just kind of letting myself 
like talk myself into like, it's okay to rest. It is okay to rest. Like, um, I think I really bought into like that hustle hard, boss babe, Instagram type culture, but um, I'm like in my late thirties and so over that life. Um, And I think it's really important to just like take a pause and ask yourself like, do I really need to push myself to do this? Um, What is the impact gonna be ultimately like on my mental health? It's so nice to like be able to like pause and think about things now, it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, do you yeah. feel like the pandemic kind of, it sounds like you had a lot of personal changes happen kind of within the last 18 months and congratulations. Oh you recently got like eight months sober. Yeah. I'm awesome. eight months and 24 days. Sober. <laughs> Amazing. Congratulations. Like, thank you. So, so what kind of transpired to like set you on that path? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Only okay, questions so, here today. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's okay. Let's let's dive into it. Um, so, I guess it kind of everything kind of started to spiral for me um, in 2018. So I was working at a very, very, very tough job where um, the business was doing quite poorly. So I started out with like a team of people who could support me. I ended up being the only person on that team and just not being able to do enough work to to bring in more revenue, but it was very stressful. Um, And at the end of it, you know, I I got let go. Um, And I was really burnt out, so I was really happy for it. Um, But I had been for so long in this mindset where my career was my defining personality trait. Mm. And I guess I'm still into early sobriety, but you know, um, being able to reflect on the way I was framing my life to myself was that my career was not necessarily a defining personality trait. It was um, like an element or an aspect of my life that I clung to, to justify the binge drinking and the really, um, impulsive and sort of destructive behavior patterns that I was falling into. And it was the one thing um, that was just keeping me from falling off the rails. And when I got let go in 2018, at the end of the year, I mean, I had nothing. I did not have another job to go to. I suddenly found myself with nothing to do all day. And instead of, I, well, I, I kind of went back and forth between, oh my God, who am I without my job? Um, who am I if I'm, if I don't have somewhere to go to for at least eight hours every day where I can show up and be an excellent version of myself, I guess in my own eyes. Um, so I went between that and to, well, fuck it. I guess I can really party now, which is... <laughs> A, a very problematic, <laughs> a very problematic way of thinking. And I was unemployed for like six months. And I, I, it was pretty soul crushing. I put a lot of pressure on myself to just find any job, find any job, find any job. And I found a great one um, with a very well-known global media company. And I loved that job. 
And when the pandemic happened, um, to like the beginning of 2020, they closed down our entire business, mm. Hong Kong office, London office, New York office. So it was less than a year and I was unemployed again with nowhere to go again. This time though, with a fat ass severance check that I spent on drugs and alcohol. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, this is problematic and I just got really desperate. And I kind of hung all my hopes on just like, if I just find another job, if I just find a job, then I'll be good again. Then I won't need any of this stuff again. And I did find a job with a really horrible company. Um, very well-known PR company, uh, but it was not a good fit, culturally speaking. Um, and after three months, we decided it wasn't working out. So then I was unemployed again. Um, and that was, um, that was in January this year. And, sorry, January 2021. And I only found a job in November. So that was a 10-month period of unemployment where I had sort of been really desperate and I convinced myself that this one job would fix everything. It was a horrible experience for me, just a bad cultural fit. And by the end of it, you know, I was like, okay, let's push the fuck it button. Um, you know, um, I guess I have nothing to do but stay home and drink all day. And it, that's, that's sort of when I realized I didn't have a, I suppose like the, the Hollywood rock bottom that so many people read all those um, biographies about. I, it wasn't that something big happened, it was that nothing different happened. I was spending every day saying that I would drink to make myself feel happy. And really it just spiraled into me drinking to not feel sad. And you know, that, that was just a cycle that I went through and I felt like I was just like getting sucked down into this whirlpool. And then one day I just somehow, and I don't know why or how, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I think I saw where I was going and I, for I guess once, and like for the first time in two decades, just had a really painful, honest look at myself. And, you know, I didn't know who I was. I didn't like what I saw. And I didn't, I didn't want my life to be that way anymore. Um, and now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short. I mean, but no, like that's, thank you so much for sharing like the, you know, your story with us, because I think it's really helpful to kind of be like, it doesn't have to be kind of, you know, a pyrotechnic rock bottom. Like it doesn't have to be pushing a shopping cart. It doesn't have to be kind of like what other people's rock bottoms look like. It can just be like, oh fuck, like, I don't want this to keep going as it is, you know? I think it's just anything that could help anyone realize that like this lifestyle does not serve me anymore. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think there needs to be like <laughs> a rock bottom standard. God, let's not do that. <laughs> no, that's when, when you keep, when you stop digging, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so like, so then what kind of action did you take to like, how did, how did, how did you get from that point to this point? So I actually knew a couple of people who were sober. So it was actually very, I don't want to say easy because it was not easy. Um, it was less shit for me <laughs> to, to go to an AA meeting. Um, 
And um, I went to my first one um, with, with a friend of mine and I was terrified. I tried to think of excuses. I got there like 15 minutes early. I tried to think of reasons like not to go in. Um, I even was like, do I have to go to the bathroom? Maybe there's not a bathroom Forever. in here. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just go home. Um, no, but then I, I just did it. I just did it. My friend was like, don't go anywhere. Just, just show up. Just sit there. You don't have to talk. You don't have to do anything. Just show up. Um, and I mean, it just, I, it made me realize a lot of it, so much of it was in my head. I'm like, it's so, it's just so simple. Like everyone's so afraid of being judged, but an AA meeting is like the last place people will judge you for anything. You know, nobody shows up there because they're like, oh, I may have a drinking problem. You know, like life has not gone your way if you show up in the rooms. But I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful I did. It was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to do. It's just be yeah. honest with myself. But I th that was it. I think after I decided to just admit I have a problem, um, I couldn't do it by myself and I really needed help and I was going to just screw my life up if I didn't. After that, everything else was easier. Um, it was not easy, but it was easier. And I'm, I'm just really glad that I made that choice. Yeah. Well, I love what you're saying, too, about, like, this idea that you were really attached to this identity of someone that worked a lot, you know, worked a lot and drank and did all this, and that you kind of had this reckoning about, like, who am I if not this? And I feel like Louisa and I probably both had that at the beginning of the pandemic in a different way, where, like, all of a sudden we couldn't do the things that we thought were the things that defined us. And for me, it's, you know, traveling. And for Louisa, it's playing shows, making music. And then what sprouted from that is something even more wonderful that we couldn't have really expected. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened for you, like, because we had to kind of re-examine what, you know, what our identity was, if not those things. But yeah, it sounds like you kind of had that. Have you kind of found this new sense of like landing somewhere that feels authentic to you in, in early recovery? Um, I am learning so much about myself. Um, <laughs> oh, the joy. <laughs> yes. You're like, oh, it's, I didn't know that about me. It, it <laughs> is really something to look at yourself without the lens of oblivion. Yeah. You know? Um, but, I mean, I, and I tell people, I'm like, no, I mean, you know, realizing that I am an alcoholic and that I have a problem was the cherry on top of a dumpster fire of a year. Um, but that was the best thing that could have happened to me. If, if, I, if I didn't realize how horrible in a place I was, if I didn't sort of let it sink in that I was really about to lose everything, um, I don't think I'd be here today. Um, and the thing is, when you think you've lost everything, then you kind of just have possibilities left. I'm trying to yeah. do this thing where I don't over-catastrophize things because it's like we're in a weird time in the world anyway. Um, so why not just try and look at, at like a positive perspective? Yeah. yeah. I remember I was like sitting outside a bar with another sober person <laughs> just like hanging out right before I left Los Angeles. And I was kind of, I think I was talking about my anxiety, which is kind of free-floating and constant and he was just like, yeah, I've been trying this thing where I, whenever I see myself getting afraid, I try and just be curious about it. Like, instead of I'm afraid of X, Y, Z, it's like, 
I'm curious about X, Y, Z, like to, as you say, like to not catastrophize, but to kind of like turn it in a way that it's like, I wonder what will happen <laughs> as opposed to like, oh, just the constant like gut clench. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been helpful, you know, when I can remember to do it. And it sounds like you're kind of on that tip, which is really nice. <laughs> I'm not necessarily succeeding every time, but at least it's, <laughs> it's in my peripherals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the best we can do, right? Yeah. Um, so it's also like, it seems like you're really devoted. To, so in addition to kind of having a, like a big career in, in a, what is apparently a new job, like during this time, you've also been kind of cultivating a career as a comedian um, and really actively creating inclusive spaces, whether it be for like a sober, sober comedy night or for founding Hong Kong's first all femme comedy troupe, Bitches and Stitches. Uh, which in itself includes not only cis female, but also non-binary and trans identifying members, which is so rad. Yes. Um, so can you talk about the mo motivation behind these projects and the experiences that you're having within them? It's oh, a lot. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I have notes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I haven't really lived at home in the Philippines. That's where I grew up. I have a confusing accent because I went to an American school there for a couple of years. It'll change when I talk to my mom. Um, <laughs> but I have, I've lived away from home for a very long time. And I lived in Switzerland for a little bit. I went to university there. I lived in LA where I went to grad school and I worked a little bit and then I came here. Um, and I guess there's, there's something that sinks in when you've lived away from home, away from like the culture um, and the family that like you identify with that's comfortable for you. Um, it just makes you sort of take stock of what it means to feel like you belong somewhere, um, what your definition of home could be if you don't have that physical or sort of like traditional type of family um, like in your area, you know, in, in your vicinity. Um, but for me, I think what made it sink in was um, living in Hong Kong, living in Asia, everything's so kind of close together it's like so easy to fly um, to different countries and I used to fly from Hong Kong to Manila like at least twice a year to see my family um, on top of that I traveled for work and I was taking holidays and when that went all out the window and I was stuck here um, and then I got sober after and had to like mend all these friendships it just kind of made it clear um, the loneliness that kind of set in, you know, when you can't distract yourself with planning a, a trip um, or a vacation or a business visit or whatever, um, it just makes you see, like, the importance and value of, like, real, actual connections and, like, what connects people. And I think it just, it boils down to, like, the simple act of being able to really listen to someone and making them feel that they're seen, that they're heard, um, that their story matters. That's actually a really powerful thing. It's a very simple thing to do, but we're not very good at doing that. Um, but when we do, I think the connections that you build, like in like those like, authentic, unfiltered connections, really mean something. And I'd been doing comedy since 2018, so I started out um, after like a seven-year breakup, and my friends were like, okay, you're just drinking and going on these like, this like barrage of Tinder dates, you might want to get a hobby. <laughs> and 
And I was like, oh, I can tell jokes about these awful dates. Ha ha. Um, Finally, material. <laughs> I know. And when I got sober um, in April, shortly after, like, I, I had the first Bitches and Stitches comedy show. Um, it was a drunken idea where I was like, boys are mean, boo. Um, you know, boo, hiss. And I kind of just talked to a bunch of other femme, trans, non-binary comics in the scene. And we said, well, are we just doing this wrong? Why are we asking the men for permission? Like, how are they supposed to understand our point of view or the audience we're meant to attract um, if, 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 they're just, if they're not in our shoes? So we decided to put on our own shows. And oh my God, doing comedy sober, that was a trip. <laughs> what felt different? Um, I remembered that I did my <laughs> set. Um, no, I just, I felt sharper. I felt like, um, my timing, my pacing, my delivery was, was better. I, um, connected with the audience better, but I was fucking terrified. I apparently get just really awful stage fright and butterflies. I cannot talk to anyone before I go on and I freak out every time. I think I'm going to be sick every time. And I, I hate it, but I also like it because it's just kind of nice to care about doing a good job again. Yeah. Instead of like, I just want to feel good in this moment. It's like, no, I actually want to make people like laugh. I want to make people feel understood. And I've not really been a person who cared about that stuff until very recently. Um, and it, it's a nice feeling. Do you feel like yeah. that that changed as you got sober or was that there present and then you were actually able to kind of connect into it more when you uh, got sober? Um, I think because I've grown up in a massive family, it's always been there. Um, it's so weird when I talk to like friends who, who have grown up as like an only child. I'm like, what's it like to just do whatever you want to do in a day? <laughs> what, is, what is that like? <laughs> Louisa and I are both awesome. only children. Yeah, fun <laughs> but lonely. <laughs> oh my God, you guys must have savings. That sounds nice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just when, I guess I, I've always grown up in that, in that mindset of like, how does what I do relate or impact the people in my life that I care about? Um, but you know, this, well, this gets exacerbated when you have bipolar disorder and, um, an alcohol and drug addiction. So it's, it's just nice to, A, be actually, like, um, in a place where I can really feel things. And I'm saying it's nice. I mean, it's, it's nice in the sense that, I, like, I'm, I, I feel awful sometimes. I feel raw. I get really angry over stupid things that, you know, probably make me look extremely psychotic. And I will hear a song on my playlist while I'm on the train and start crying like a crazy person. Um, but I think with all that like raw emotion that's just coming in waves at this point, I'm actually happier than I have been. You know, like I remember the conversations I have. I, when I laugh, I'm really laughing and I'm not just like uncomfortably trying to like get my next drink, you know? Um, and it's just nice. It's just nice to, to be able to go through that motions. 
And it's nice to like hope for better things too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say that like when, when you get sober, you feel better and not as in like you feel physically better or mentally or emotionally better, but like you feel everything better. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of a bitch, but it's also like, isn't that what life is for? Like I can still catch myself kind of being a little bit like anxious about feelings. Like I'll, or for instance, we're moving soon. And I have a lot, I have a lot of like fear about the discomfort of moving. And it's just like, Oh my God, it's awful. It's going to be fine though. You know, and it's like, that's it. It's, it's okay. Like instead of living life in that kind of state of perpetual, like, Oh no, it's going to happen. This like, can I just maybe enjoy the process or just like even be in the process? And it, when you're talking about like, instead of kind of obsessing subtly about the next drink. It's, it's just nice to be present and to like fully focus on things instead of being like, I could be drinking right now. And yeah, that was right. that was my mindset. That was my auto my automatic go-to. Yeah. Wherever I was and whatever I was doing, I would always kind of have it at the back of my head. I could be drinking right now, right? Yeah, or just, just like how can right? I be drinking right now? <laughs> like yeah, how, yeah. how can I get out of this conversation or get you like off my back so I can either be drinking or I don't have to share my drugs with you? Like my fave. I know. And like you, you never get to fully be in a moment because your mind's just always there. And you know, it, 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 it feels scary, but it's also like very just freeing. Um, Completely. Yeah. Contact. Well, so now for sober sex's classic question, hard pivot, what are some of the first messages you received around sex and sexuality? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. The sex part of sober sex, if you will. <laughs> Well, uh, being Filipino, the country is 90% Catholic, so I was raised Catholic, and that means I grew up learning or being told that sex was an evil, dangerous taboo. So naturally, I was obsessed with it. <laughs> I was like, ooh, what, what, is it must like? Be. <laughs> what is this like interesting, dangerous thing that I can't do, but like all the beautiful Hollywood actors seem to really enjoy. I'm in. Um, and I, yeah, I was totally obsessed with it. Um, I think I had a, yeah, that, that sort of level of curiosity. What's this all about? Um, and then I, I, I'm actually like a, like a sexual abuse survivor. I was abused um, at the age of six um, by my grandmother's boyfriend. Mm. So he was like around his like 60 at the time. It was, yeah, it was, it was a very traumatizing moment for me. Um, just like looking back on it now that, that I'm an adult and just the sort of like behavior, the way he was interacting with me, completely inappropriate. Um, So, you know, it went from this like, exciting sort of dangerous curiosity to something that was like dirty and shameful. Mm. Um, And I would kind of have a, I guess like a really bipolar relationship with it where, you know, I would have like these urges, like I obviously like wanted to fuck and like have orgasms and all of that, but I would be confused about like, am I, why do I feel good about something that also makes me feel so, so crappy? And Mm -hmm you know, when something like that happens to you at the age of six and you're raised kind of in a society or in a culture um, where 
you are taught to hold in your difficult emotions. You're taught to keep them in and just not complicate things and make things awkward for people or uncomfortable for people or embarrass people. So you just try, like sort of live kind of with that guilt and with that shame and you just don't get to talk about it and unpack it. And, you know, alcohol was, was I guess, the way that I soothed myself. Yeah. And I did, you know, in the beginning, like it was, it was just like, okay, so like this is my new dangerous curiosity and it looks like people are having a lot of fun with it. Um, and I mean, yeah, I think that was just sort of what kicked off like my, my connection to it, my, my reliance on it. Just over the years, it was just always my go-to. Um, it's just like, okay, this bad thing happened, get drunk. This cool thing happened, let's celebrate, let's get drunk. Um, but the thing is like, you can start out with specific moments that are appropriate to get drunk. And soon enough, it's just like any moment really is a good time to get drunk. It's five o'clock somewhere, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, um, that was sort of, I guess, where that trajectory went. No, I mean, totally. It's like, you know, I think it's very easy, especially in recovery circles to get on this tip of like, I'm sick, like, even though it's a disease and I'm sick and that's why I have this relationship I do with alcohol or drugs that like, it's this kind of bad part of me, you know? And it actually, I think like you kind of mentioned, it's a very creative adjustment to, you know, to surviving trauma or to surviving situations that like were literally unlivable otherwise, you know? And like, I think we talk a lot about on this show about like the idea of a creative adjustment about like a character, quote unquote, character defect actually being like the, the best tool that we had to survive the situation in the moment. And, you know, I, like, it sounds like that it, it worked until it didn't work. And I think, like, it's important to give that part of ourselves credit because, like, who knew? I, I don't know if I, I would be here without, like, the part that w is alcoholic, you know? I agree. Actually agree. I mean, especially, like, fully having to feel your trauma, like, it, I still don't like that idea. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> like... <laughs> Ooh, I get to really be traumatized. Yay, bring it on. No, no, nobody wants that. Um, yes, it's essential, but, you know, I think there's a time and a place for you to be ready for it. I'm not saying, okay, everybody, be an alcoholic so you can improve. It's just that, I, like I said, um, I, I trust in my higher power and the journey, that the trajectory that got me here today. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just grateful that I was able to you know, to look at myself and my situation for what it really was. No, yeah. totally. And I, it also sounds like you kind of probably had a lot of pressure on you being the oldest kid to like have your shit together and to, you know, like do the family spreadsheet of being able to have everybody everywhere on time. Like that sounds like a lot to kind of manage in addition to like having a big potential shameful secret where like, how do you reconcile those two things? Like, it especially at so, six. It was so hard. Um, my mother's second husband um, is an alcoholic. Well, sorry, former second husband is an alcoholic and she is a domestic violence survivor. So that was something I didn't realize until I had already moved out and I was in, I was in university. And so, you know, there I am. I'm 17, 18 years old living in Europe 
you know, for the first time in my life in a country where, like, they didn't ID you because, like, you don't have to be 21 over there um, with a bunch of, like, people who are so, who have, like, a better relationship with alcohol or who are, I guess, mentally... Controlling their drinking for younger since they were younger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So there was that, but also just knowing that I was so far removed from a really traumatic situation that was screwing up my family, you know? And it, it, it just, there were so many, there were so many things. And there are a lot of times where I just felt like I have to keep it together because if I let everything out and if I just let myself feel everything, I don't know if I'm going to mentally come back from that. No, totally. And again, like, you know, to, to kind of be on this side of it in recovery, it seems like not only to have like, you know, we, we, <laughs> I don't know if they say this, but it seems to be true that like process trauma is good comedy. <laughs> is this fact? Hey man, therapy is so expensive in Hong Kong. <laughs> At this open mic um, that we, that, that I go to, it's all like they do it every Tuesday in Hong Kong. Um, the host, he always goes, you know, this is basically like our comedy gym, but also like our psychiatrist sofa. Um, and if you are uncomfortable for that, remember that you got in for free and you're going to get what you paid for. <laughs> yes. But I honestly... I, 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 I do like that, though, about comedy. I think that there's something to be said about using laughter as a way to process really complex um, traumatic experiences. Yes, I completely get that. I feel like thinking about it, like there are things that, you know, of course, like it kind of reminds me of being in a meeting when you share about something that's like, you know, you'll talk to people or you'll hear from people that say, I couldn't believe it. I went to this meeting and somebody shared something really horrible and everyone laughed. And, and it's funny because there's something about that that's really soothing because it's like when we've been so attached to something for so long as being a part of who we are and this is us and this is our story and we could just kind of detach from it and have a little bit of levity around it and have a little bit of like, just sort of like, I get to, does that kind of provide a sense of like getting to let go a little bit as you kind of have, have a laugh with people? I actually see the thing is like, I think the humor that, that, um, the, the things that we find funny, like in meetings, like as, as alcoholics, as addicts, it's just, it's on a different level. Um, yeah. I think I have a friend like, I think they were trying to just to like do like dry July or whatever. And she's like, oh, my God, I, I, you know, like, I picked up a drink, and I thought it was my soda, but it was a vodka. And I was like, free laps. Um, she <laughs> yeah. didn't find it funny. <laughs> but my, my friends in the program thought it was hilarious. So I'm like, okay, okay, that's, that's not a normie thing. That's fine. But it's just nice to be able, I guess, to, you know, to, to have people that, I, that identify with that, that I identify with, like, oh, my God, we have done some messed up stuff. But being able to laugh at it with people who understand what you're going through. Yeah. Um, you know, there's something really comforting about that. There's something that just makes you less lonely. Yeah. And I, I was so lonely, like at the height of my alcoholism because I was just lying to everyone. You know, I was, I was, I hid so much about like the, the severity of my problem you know, I would, I would leave dinner early because I was tired 
when really I just wanted to be able to drink without people judging me, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, or I would want to go out instead of sit at home because I ran out of wine. Um, it was just, I don't know, like, I feel like my, my friends, um, my family and my partner all had seen the signs and they had tried to talk to me about it. And the scary thing is like, that was only about like a quarter of my actual um, alcohol use. Yeah. It was still concerning, which is my favorite, which is like, you don't even know a half. <laughs> but I mean, that's it, right? Like kind of this feeling of laughing together um, and genuinely not like I'm being self-deprecating and it hurts me when I laugh, but I will. <laughs> it's like we talked to another comedian, Rebecca Rush, a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about like shame is healed when you laugh together at it you oh, know I love that. which is I think like very true especially for alcoholics like their podcast specifically devoted for that like I think our our homies that it's all bad like they laugh about it dopey laughs about it and I feel like there's a kind of a new generation of recovery especially kind of within the pandemic that's like very like much about kind of laughing at the war stories as route to not the destination but like the route to recovery is almost explicitly the laughter you know <laughs> it's not a veil of tears as they say I know but the thing is like that's what we're afraid of right it's just like I don't want the veil of tears it's, it's <laughs> yes. why like why why do I throw a tantrum when I'm actually just really like hurt mm. because anger yeah. looks like a stronger emotion than sadness and laughter looks like a more stable I mean depending on the laugh <laughs> but you know Maybe. it's like a more it's more <laughs> It's a less uncomfortable emotion than sadness. Yeah. So I think that if we can use laughter as a segue to kind of really get into, you know, um, um, the crux of why we drank or the emotions that made us want to drink, then I'm for it. For sure. And have you like kind of felt that out at your at the sober comedy shows? Like, how do you kind of structure that in a way that is is sober specific? Or inclusive. So I've I've only done the one, um, and oddly enough, I was like, oh, I don't know if we're, if it's gonna work. So it's it's not a big comedy scene here in Hong Kong. Like I mean, I I don't speak uh, Cantonese, so the English speaking comedy scene is is pretty is pretty small. Like we all see each other a lot. Um, I've heard some of the same jokes for three years, but <laughs> you know, three years later, I might be that guy. So no judgment. Um, but it's, it's a small scene and oddly enough, when I got sober and actually fucking talked to the people in it and like got to know them, um, instead of asking them if they would do shots with me, like I realized there's actually a few sober comedians in Hong Kong and I didn't know that until like I just started going to different shows because spoiler alert, um, when you are not drunk all the time, People want to work with you more. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey. so I was getting booked on more shows and working with more comedians. And I just realized a bunch of us don't drink. Um, not everyone is necessarily in a program, in the program, or doing any sort of like recovery module. Um, some, some, some of them were like, I just don't like it anymore. Some of them were like, I'm too old, you know? But like, <laughs> for whatever reasons, there are a bunch of us who are sober. So I said, this is actually really topical because Hong Kong has such a big drinking culture and 
as comedians, we're constantly in bars. Um, so I think there's, there's something that can be done here and a message that we can deliver. Because I would talk to you know, my friends in the program, in the rooms, and they'd be like, oh, I wish I could go, but I don't know if I want to be around like drunk people. So I said, no, then let's, let, let's, let's kind of create a space where that will work. And the bar that I was at tonight for this open mic, I've, I've known the owner for like 10 years. And she knows I'm sober, which is why I'm totally cool, like doing shows there. And she, she, I spoke with her about it. And she goes, well, cool. Why don't I just not serve alcohol that night? I'm like, really? How are you going to make any money? <laughs> and she's like, no, I just, I just support the cause. You know, you're a friend. I think you're doing a good thing. So the bar did not serve any alcohol that night. And it was really cool. And we, we did not sell out, but we almost did. We, we, like, we made our target revenue. Um, and it was, it was just nice to be able to talk about stuff that has honestly never been in my comedy before. Um, wow. I normally joke about like um, sort of a lack of diversity or inclusion or like, um, you know, microaggressions or I don't know, like st stuff that is easier for people to process than I'm an alcoholic which is a tall order because I can say so many things about the patriarchy. Like, ooh, I'm an alcoholic. That's... <laughs> Both know, and. That is too much for people. I said good day. Um, <laughs> but for the sober comedy show that we did, so, yeah, I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I work in marketing and PR, so I make a lot of PowerPoints. And I did um, a PowerPoint presentation about how I sort of used my social media to create a very fun, like cool looking, basically filtered, you know, hashtag blessed image of my relationship with alcohol. And what I did was I did like a before and after. So I would show like, this is the picture that I posted on Instagram. This is the picture my friends took of me passed out on my couch. Um, <laughs> and it was, Actually, like it was actually a pretty painful exercise because I went into all of those pictures that Oof. I had kind of like deleted, but you know the cloud. Um, so I, <laughs> I went into the cloud and was like, "Oh God!" And I just saw like ten years worth of like really embarrassing, like terrible pictures of myself, which is funny because like it's photographic evidence that I had a drinking have a drinking problem. And I still was like, nope, nope, I'm good, I'm good. Um, and just being able to uncover those and just like really look at them and be like, oh wow, this is, this is what it was. And a lot of people did come up to me after the show, they were like, that was really, that was actually really powerful, you know, like well done for doing it. I'm like, well, <laughs> I think I might appreciate the exercise in a bit, um, but I'm still, I'm still glad I, I did it because I've never, and I haven't done since, I haven't talked about my alcoholism at a comedy show since. Hmm. Maybe a, yeah. a window. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting though, because I think like a lot of recovery modalities have been criticized also kind of in, on the inverse, right? For being like very white, both culturally and like in terms of representation. So like, although you are in, in an Asian country, I wonder if like that's been something that's been part of your experience in, within, you know, the rooms. That there oh, lacks I mean, diversity and inclusion. 
Um, it's tricky to say in Hong Kong, like we're, we're a very weird city. Like one thing I love about this place is like you never know what someone's accent's gonna sound like. You know, like you can have a Chinese person, like like um, physically they or ethnically they look Chinese, but they have an Australian accent because that's where they went to boarding school. Or people look at me and they're like, oh, she's like Southeast Asian, but I have an American accent, even if I've only lived there for two years of my life. Like, so it's it's a very diverse type of city. I will say though, um, in terms of the people I do see in the rooms. Um, there's a lot of meetings that go on in Hong Kong in English. Um, you know, there are some that are all women. There are some that are all men. There are some that are mixed. There are some that are queer. Um, but there is sort of a skew towards, like, um, exposure to, like, Western culture and a Western mm -hmm. mindset. Um, if I probably had stayed in the Philippines and didn't leave, you know, we're, we're like um, an Asian honor-shame society like coupled with Catholicism, we don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. They drink wine in mass. Like, <laughs> you know, so I think there, there definitely has to be that mindset where you are okay to sort of, I guess, put yourself out there and risk being vulnerable and risk um, people judging you. Because that's, that's, that's a big thing in Asian society. So I would say that is where it, that's one point. I guess where I could see um, the discrepancy. Um, another point also I would say, and really like what made me hesitant to kind of like drink the Kool-Aid my first few meetings, you know, we opened the big book and I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm going to have to read this entire fucking book that was written by two white guys in the 30s from Ohio. No, I'm never like, I'm no, I'm not gonna do that. There's a chapter called Two Wives. Fuck that noise, I'm done. Um, and my, I, I, I got a temporary sponsor early on. She's still my sponsor, um, but she was like, look. Semi-permanent sponsor. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, back then she was still my temporary sponsor. Um, but yeah, she was like, look, I know it sucks. Um, but if you try and like gloss over that and try and look past the fact that it was written a hundred years ago, I mean, there's something to be said that they're still using it now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that is one barrier is that there was that initial hurdle that, you know, the way, um, the literature is sort of marketed and packaged could be updated. I realize it's also a really boring book. Like, who wants that job? Thank you for your service. Like, <laughs> so there are challenges around that. I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's it's just about the mindset, right? It's like, am I going to let the fact that these guys who have been dead forever, but like have been helping alcoholics for for decades, like you know, what's what's the what's the bigger benefit here? Like, is it my feelings are hurt or do I like just not want to be an alcoholic? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's also, it's tricky, like, because on some level, I totally agree with you and have had controversial hot takes at, on meetings about this <laughs> where I'm just like, guys, get an update. But like at the same time, like, yeah, the, the tools are actually so effective, you know? And like, who, who knows like what, 
the magic in the mixes. And like, is it, is it more helpful for me to get over myself and like hump, kind of the exercise of humility that it takes to like, mm. kind of f- like to relate of like, I am just like this motherfucker. God damn it. Or is it more helpful for the text to be kind of made inclusive so more people have an easier time getting sober? And it's, I think it's like an ongoing conversation. Like I know in a lot of meetings in America, they're changing the, and now France, they're changing the um, preface and the foreword into uh, gender inclusive language, which I think is really exciting. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, the rate of change is so slow because of the benevolent anarchy that is within, you know, 12 step communities, but it's also kind of like, I think they're trying more than they have in the past, certainly, which is yeah. cool. <laughs> I mean, I think, and like I said, everything about the program has just taught me the importance of trying to look at things from another perspective. Yeah. Because when everything I did was to serve me, I mean, we know how that turned out. So, <laughs> you know. A slideshow. (laughs) We have a PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like, and you know, I, I, that's still how I'm wired. Where I'm like, well, I feel this, and fuck you. Um, um, and I, I have to stop and tell myself and be like, okay, like, that's about you. Does is the situation about you? Does it have to revolve around you? Can you like just take a step back and think about how it is from this person's perspective? And I mean, I don't always like it, but it, it's been really helpful. And I think having that open-mindedness is actually really key to just being successful in the program as well. You know, I mean, there are so many things, so many constraints or so many, I guess, challenges that were just kind of in my head where I'm like, I'm going to walk into this room. I don't even know these people. Like, what if someone's, like, done jail time or whatever? And frankly, like, these are the people who understand me better than anyone because they know what it's like. They know what it's like to live every single day just being, like, reminding yourself that I have this disease that's just there waiting. If I lie to myself that I can just have the one drink, you know? Um, And, yeah, yeah. there's something really comforting about that. You know, I could be like, I could walk into a room where like, there's this like uber religious sort of, you know, cishet 500 year old like banker from like the UK or like this like Gen Z type of like non-binary supermodel with tattoos who plays the bass. She sounds hot. Um, But (laughs) like I could walk into a room with that kind of mix of people and there's something comforting to know that I will already have something in common with them. Yeah. Um, not just the fact that we're drunks, but I think the fact that if you come to a meeting and if you stick to the program and if you commit to sobriety, that just means you have hope. And that's the yeah. thing. And, you know, like you being there gives a chance for representation to someone else that might walk in, you know, like they might feel like the book doesn't quite speak to them exactly, you know, because of the language, but you may be the point of entry for someone to understand like, oh, I'm okay here because I'm sort of feel aligned with this person or whatever it is. Cause I, you know, I feel the same about the book and it's the kind of thing where you go, you know, would I rather be right or happy, sober, whatever it is. And like, yes, I think like in this situation, like, both things can be true. The book is written in a dated, non-inclusive way. 
And the book is also helpful. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. like, because of that, the book is all bad because that's the kind of thinking that got us that we had to get sober because of that black and white thinking. So to be oh able God, to be yes. like, you know what? It's okay that the book is not written exactly as I think it should. It's okay, you know, <laughs> it was, it's reflective of a different time and a different era. And, and yet I'm going to take what I can from this book and, and hope someday maybe it'll change. But at the same time, I'm not going to close myself off to the sort of sunlight of the, the spirit and the pages of the book just because of that, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it's just, it's just nice to also think in absolutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's simple, but it's not like, <laughs> yeah, it like, doesn't it's serve just, us. It's actually just a really limiting and yeah. shitty thing to think that you're one thing or another. And, you know, like or that like everybody else is one thing or another. Yeah. 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 In 2021, that's obviously not the world we live in. Yeah. Um, so are we just going to be miserable because the world doesn't fit into how we wanted it to be? I mean, or can we just kind of accept that there are other ways to look at things? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe have fun with like you were saying that, that especially in Hong Kong, it, it's appearances are often deceiving and maybe that can actually be like a pleasant experience, you know, that it yeah. like it keeps, it keeps us guessing as opposed to like, Oh, you don't fit into my binary. God damn it. Like, I'm mad <laughs> now. <laughs> um, so to kind of re, pivot again back into the sex part. How has your relationship with sexuality changed in recovery? Well, um, so I got sober like while I was with my current partner. So he, oh God, he and I met um, at a wedding, <laughs> open bar. Um, I like, I grabbed his butt and was like, do you want to come over <laughs> and like get wasted at my house? I don't remember the cab ride over. But I mean, you know, he, he came <laughs> and it was just like, I don't know, like th there's this defining experiences that I like in our, our, our sexual relationship that I just kind of don't remember, you know, the, the, and just looking back at even outside of my relationship now, my relationship with sex was just always like colored with like just oblivion, with just drunkenness, with you know, not being fully present. And now that I've had sex while stone cold sober, hey. <laughs> it's, uh, it's different. Um, it's a lot uglier <laughs> um, and scarier and messier and weirder um, than I remembered. Um, but it also just feels better. And it, it actually feels like intimacy now. So yeah. there is that. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's like a, it's not an all good or an all bad feeling, but it's just, it's like, it's, it, it feels real, I guess. Yeah. And so what does growth or healing look like for you today? Um, growth or healing today? I think it's just, as I mentioned before, it's just being honest with myself about why I want to, like, why I'm thinking of a certain way. Do I want to push myself to my limits or is this time for me to just step back and take a rest? Um, yeah. You know, I've thrown a bunch of shit around my house because I can't find that top. Um, is that really about that? You know, like, and I, 
I didn't really have that luxury to pause. Um, when I was drinking, it was just like, I want to do this. I will do that. I want to feel this. So I'm going to do all of that um, without really just um, having a think and like trying to process and just like respond to something properly instead of like react immediately. Um, and I'm still learning. So there are moments where I'm just like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> but just, just that I'm in the mindset where like my first thing to do is like, wait now. Why are you thinking like this? Um, and why are you feeling like this? It's, it's, you know, it, it is such a helpful tool. Um, and I'm appreciative of that. It's uncomfortable, but it's helped me make better life choices. Here's to that. And like, I mean, that's it, right? Like that's the whole thing, like to be able to pause, like it, it gives us options as opposed to just like, I need this now, you know? Um, so we are, before wrapping up, we're going to pivot again into the infamous Sobersec lightning round. Um, so you, like, don't think, just answer. You, like Lily, sure. are an amateur food pornographer. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was the best meal that you ate in 2021? Um, it was a sushi dinner that I had for my one-month sobriety birthday. It was a really, awesome. really fancy, like, like over a hundred dollar type sushi dinner, but Ooh. I had that money. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fantastic! I was like, oh my god, everything is just affordable now because I <laughs> have money that I'm not like you know yoloing on like shots <laughs> or like cocaine or whatever. Like it, and it was nice. Yes, you know, and a good reason to and celebrate. It, yeah. Uh, and so what turns you on? Um, guys with really nice butts. <laughs> oh, yeah. You grabbed the one at the and wedding. you found. Of course. <laughs> I found love. Three years later, I'm still grabbing it in public. Oh. <laughs> uh, what do you love? Friends. Um, relationships, communication. Awesome. And what's been some, or what's been one of your best investments of time, money, or energy? Unemployment segue to comedy. Yes. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> that's such a, like, that's such a beautiful kind of like, we are doing it, our love. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, what is a TV show you recommend? Ooh. Um, God, what was the one I just watched? Succession. Sorry, I, <laughs> I I fell asleep in the middle of episode one. To be fair, though, I'd had three hours of sleep the night before. It's not the show's fault. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, what was a really good one that I saw? I really I like the boys um, on Amazon. I hear it's very and, violent, but season two is good. I haven't watched I, it. I, I, I just like that. I like that it kind of just semtex this like glorified absolute view of a superhero, right? It's like you awesome. can be seen as a good person, but be fucked up inside. Wow. Why is that relatable? Like <laughs> <laughs> See friends, Instagram. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, last question. Where can we find you online? Um, so I am on Instagram. I've got like three accounts. 
Um, my personal account, if you like pictures of food um, and random pictures of animals and a bunch of memes, Ooh. it is Party Goblin Mother. Party Goblin oh Mother. Oh, my God. Beautiful. I'm going to find you. Um, awesome. And where can we find um, Bitches and, and Stitches? So also on Instagram at Bitches in Stitches HK. Awesome. <laughs> is there a third one that we should know about that we don't yet? <laughs> The third one is like pop-up events that I do. So I would use it to like brand like my sober comedy show. I also do like, like sex ed quiz nights or like, um, I do like interactive bingo nights. So it is sure you can events HK. It's a reference to street fighter video games that I like. Cause one of the fighters is like, sure you can. And he'd like uppercut you. So it's S H O R Y U K E N H K. No, sorry, events HK. So hopefully uh, any listeners in Hong Kong can stay tuned and go to some awesome events. Thank you so much for being with us on Sober Sex. Thank you so much, guys.